Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. For today's masterclass on Christianity, we reach the main thesis for the Apostle Paul, which is God's intention for displaying his might and his wisdom upon the earth. We will be humbled to find out that the church herself is designed by God to be the visible evidence of his transforming power. Thanks for joining us as we reach this critical message today in describing God's plan for the world. Okay, I know some of you got football on the brain today. <laughs> Barb just gave me a heads up. She doesn't want to know the score. She's taping it, so nobody tell. All right. So, um, I'll start off with a, a football illustration. I coached uh, the team last year, and uh, we came up with this one really killer play. It was designed at the middle school level to draw the defense into a lulled sense of anticipation. And so the play runs like this. Sorry if you don't know football terminology. I'll get my best so that we all track together on it. But we would set up and we would we'd set up on the line and we would take the lineman farthest on the right called the tight end and he would run in motion before the snap all the way to the other side. Now the defense would watch this whole thing happen. And so they're thinking the play is going to be running to the left. And sure enough, we would do it. And we would do it with the quarterback. The quarterback himself takes the snap and would run right around the edge with that tight end as a lead blocker. Well, we'd get a couple of yards. And then we'd do the same play again, running that tight end in motion. They all see it happen. Ball snaps. Quarterback takes it, runs it again. And then we do it a third time. And by now, the defense knows what's coming. They've seen this happen. Pre-snap, they know what to anticipate, except we're changing the play. <laughs> this time, the quarterback takes the ball, he fakes like he's running, and he throws it to the, to the uh, tailback, who has moved out to the right, wide open, and can go. Well, as we're going through this play, we, we had this one player on the team who, maybe he should be the coach. He, he's very creative. He always thinks of all these things that you could do, except the play is designed a certain way. And so as, we, as I was talking to him on the sideline, I'm asking him, now, do you know the play? Do you know what we're trying to do? Because all the rest of the guys on the field, it's designed to do a specific thing. And if you don't know the play, if you decide to do it a different way, maybe your own way, maybe something that's easier, maybe something that's less risky, whatever it might be, the whole thing is going to break down. Because as far as the coach goes, there is a design, there's a strategy, there's a plan. This is similar for us in the church. God is in many ways the one who's calling the plays, like a coach would be. He has a strategy. He has a particular design. He has a plan. And his plan involves, it involves you. It involves the church. God has a particular expected design for the church. And he doesn't expect you and I to figure it out on our own and, and, and muster up enough strength to get it right. In fact, he gives us his word. He gives us his spirit. He gives us, as we heard already in the book of Colossians, Christ in you. You know how awesome that is? Turn to your neighbor. Say, Christ is in you. Uh, that, ought to, that ought to just wow for today. Jesus Christ lives and dwells here in this little assembly, in your heart through the Spirit as well. However, 
I have even of recently been shocked at the ways in which churches do not follow after God's design. There is a plan. There's a play. There's a strategy that God has called, and it requires our obedience to God's word to know what it is and then to follow the instructions for whatever God has asked of us. So many churches, though, having grown up now for the last couple hundred years in a post-enlightenment world, we have really detached ourselves from the idea that God's the one who's in charge and his plan is the one we should follow. Instead, in our world today, as is so often the case, many decisions get made based upon either their pragmatism, because it's simpler, it's more efficient, we have more important things that we need to do, or by our own lackadaisical attitude because we misunderstand our role in the church. We think we have better ideas because we bought into the idea that comes through our culture in naturalism, in evolution, that those in power achieve that power to rule it over others. Have you ever seen that in a church? Have you ever seen it where somebody in authority misuses that type of authority. God never designed it that way. He never designed the church to give imbued in one person an authority beyond his word. In fact, the design for those who knew Jesus the best have a model in Jesus Christ at the Last Supper. You guys remember this, right? Jesus, here being the one who has the most esteem, he himself takes off his outer garments, wraps a towel around his waist, and what does Jesus do? He washes, he takes the job of the lowest slave, the servant job. And then he tells them, now that I've done this for you, you all as leaders, this is how you are to love one another. So there's no version that can be truthfully given to a church that's following God's design where power is happening at the expense of the weak. Christianity proves just the exact opposite. And the cultural influence, however, is so strong that many churches have abandoned God's plan. Many churches have abandoned God's design for his strategy. As you know, we are studying the book of Ephesians. And today we come to chapter 3. As you turn there, uh, we're going to read through verses 1 through 13. And in our time this morning, I want to submit to you this sermon today might be the most important message of our understanding to to crystallize in our hearts exactly what is it that God's trying to do. You and I have been together already through chapters 1 and 2 to see that Jesus is our new head, and that we are offered a transforming hope in the promised resurrection that's ahead of us, that we are indeed a new type of creation on the earth. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and that there is a new man the Bible says, which is made up not just of Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. It's a global vision for God's strategy of letting his kingdom be visible on the earth through the church. Not one nation, all nations, all people. Well, today, today you get the plan. Today we have from the Apostle Paul, the words from the coach. What is it that we're supposed to be doing? What is this design that God has put together So I've called this message a new plan. I believe it is for us what is kind of a a hinge in the book of Ephesians, in his letter, that we would know what's the center of this. What's the most important thing we have 
to pay attention to. So that's what we're going to get this morning. Y'all ready? Okay. Um, there's more. I, I'm going to say this in the message as well. The implications from today are really the rest of the book. Everything that flows after today's message are, is the outworking of the plan. But today we get the plan. Today we get the strategy. So with that in mind, Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was... That now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to become discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. All right. What, uh, this, this is a monster of a sandwich for us to try to get through. And uh, even as I, I was preparing notes, I, I, have, I have seven really key observations to explain the text as we work through it. I feel like every one of those is worth a sermon in and itself. So you can pray for me as we're going through this. <laughs> Um, all right, so he starts out by talking about, and I, I just want to see the beginning and the end. He talks about being a prisoner. Verse 13, he's re-referencing that observation, that he is in jail right now because of his proclamation of the gospel. And he doesn't want any of the churches to be unsettled by this. He wants them instead to know this is really tantamount to evidence that God's plan has been given to Paul. Paul Paul's not suffering in a way that doesn't have a return. It's actually for the sake of the gospel. And so what flows from this, what comes from this, is Paul's insight into the gospel. And so that's the first thing I want you to see. If you look with me in verses 4 and in 5, Paul says, in reading this, in reading what? Well, in reading everything he's already said concerning the mystery. So we almost have to go back to chapter 2. 
And I'll just review it real briefly here. Remember, uh, through his body, through the cross, he took the two peoples, Jew and Gentile, and did what? Brought them into one. That's right. Paul says that you are now being given insight into this. So what that means for us is that the church has got access to God's plan. Paul's giving it to you here. And he says it comes through the Holy Spirit apostles and prophets in verse 5. Again, just in verse 5, it wasn't made known in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the apostles, to the prophets. I want to just uh, look look at that very briefly because uh, do you know what you're holding in your hands right now? You're holding the instructions that come from who? Well, God's is the easy answer. That's the, that's the obvious church. Good job. Yes, it's God. It is. Um, what category of person wrote the New Testament? Do you know? There's a title for them. They were called what? Apostles. And what category of God servant wrote the Old Testament? Do you know? The prophets. Yeah, in, in fact, what you're holding is a letter from God who through his spirit delivered the plan through the prophets. And through the apostles, you, you have access to it. I remember when I was in, I think it was fourth grade, we had a math teacher who, he was pretty distracted. I remember this guy was a little distracted. He would leave the room, and I remember, because I was trying to be in good relationship with all my teachers, I noticed on his de- desk was the teacher's book. Aha. Because the teacher's book had all the answers. Do you know what you have in front of you? You, you, you have all the answers. You, you and I have access to know what is God's will for me. What is God's plan for me? It doesn't, doesn't have to stay dusty. It doesn't have to stay hidden in a drawer. It's right here. And you and I can have access to God's plan. And it's a spiritual access. I want to make sure that I emphasize that. That as you look with me in verse 5, it was the Spirit who made this known to the apostles and prophets, which means for you and I, you're only going to be able to decode it to understand it properly if you're reading it through the help of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that illumines our minds and our hearts to understand what God's will is. All right, secondly, we're given an invitation. And here, if you look again, you will see in verse 6 an explanation of the mystery that has already been unfolded back in chapter 2. Here it is. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I want you to underline or circle the word together. How many times does he have to say it? That this is the whole idea. That there's an invitation now for all people. I'm not sure how well this preaches today sometimes. I actually don't know how often you are challenged to think of people who look different than you, who maybe have a different tradition, different culture than you as being part of your own family. I mean, we live kind of in the middle of the woods, right? I mean, we're, we're kind of out there. There's not a lot of different people groups that are coming our way. Well, there are in a lot of other places. And I would imagine that in some way the Spirit of God knows how to convict your heart so that you know Jesus isn't just for you. Jesus is for who? Jesus for everyone. And so we're given in the mystery, it's an invitation. It's an invitation for everyone. Now, not everybody's going to listen. Not everybody wants it. And God says, okay, uh, I won't force you. you. You're allowed to reject me, unfortunately. Um, 
but there will be those who will respond. We need to make sure that we're carrying that invitation forward. Thirdly, there's an inclusion. If you look in verse 7 and 8, he says, I became a servant of the gospel that by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Um, here's, here's the amazing thing that you need to see from Paul's own delivery is that Paul is shocked that God included him. How, how does he characterize himself in verse 8? Do you see it? Although I am less than the least. Yeah, this is not somebody who is no longer struggling with pride. He knows who he is. He knows he doesn't deserve to come in. And so I want to ask you, who let you in? <laughs> How'd you get into church today? You, do you deserve to be here? Because I sure don't. Uh, characteristic of my life and the rebellion of the depths of self-love. Boy, they exclude me from Jesus. They exclude me from God. It is only by his mercy and grace that I'm given access. Now, not only, and this is the coolest part, not only was Paul given access, but then God gave him a job to do. Do you know the same is true for you? You, you don't only get to come in to the family. You don't only get to come into the community. He then gives you instructions, and here's what I want you to do. You're included in the family of God. And so what we have in the gospel has been entrusted to us so that we learn to give it away and to give it away in the very nuanced way that God's designed you. You are different from the person sitting right across from you. And so you have an experience and an approach to God that God's going to use in the world to bring himself glory. And really, here's the, here's the part that preaches from that. It only really works if you learn to give away what's been given to you. I think it's kind of like a birthday cake. Do you guys remember parties when you were little? I remember my mom would always cook a carrot cake. She was a healthy one like that, right? So we would, we would have carrot cake for my birthday. Now, what happens if the birthday, like, who, who's the birthday cake for? Who is it for? It is not for the birthday cake. You think it is, right? You, you really, how weird would that be, though, to have a party and, or to not have a party and just have this monster cake that you have to eat? That's crazy, right? So who's the cake for? It's for everybody else, but it's given to who? Given to you. Same thing with the gospel. Same thing. It's been given to you, but who's it for? It's for everybody else. And, and this is how God's spirit works in you and among you. The Bible says that everyone has an example of how the Holy Spirit works in us. And it's given to you for the edification. That means the building, the growing up, the common good of everybody. And so you've been included just as Paul has been included. We don't know why they let you in. We don't know why they let me in. But they did. God did. And now that he has, however he's designed and wired you is to be used for the blessing of everybody else. Number four, there is an impartation. That's a, that's a big word, and I want to spend just a minute on this one. This is a really important one. If you look with me in the text in verse nine, we have a word that is repeated back from verse two. Verse nine says, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden uh, in God who created all things. All right. What was Paul's job description? And if you were looking in your Bible, and this was like, all right, here's the quiz at the end of church today. 
What was Paul's dual job description? It was two things. If you look in a preach to the what people? Gentiles. Good. That's the first part of Paul's job. You got to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then the second part of Paul's job is this impartation. It is an entrusting to the Apostle Paul with this funny little word in English called the administration of this ministry. Uh, mystery. Administration. I gotta say it, tell you, that's been a head scratcher for me for years and years and years. Until I looked at the word that Paul uses in the original. Which, if you look back in verse 2, same thing, right? Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me. Uh, your Bible might say dispensation. Uh, there's a few different English words that get used for this one Greek word. Here's the word. You ready? It's called oikonomia. And oikon, oikon, oh, I can't even say it twice. Oikonomia is the combination of two Greek words. The root here being namos, which means law. And the beginning, oikos, which is the Greek word for house. Oikonomia is the house rules. It's the house law. Now, we use the word administration in the same way that you might think of a school who has an administrative office. What's their job? To make sure everybody else is doing their job, right? So whoever is in the administration is given the instructions to make sure everybody knows how to do what they're supposed to do. That was given to who here? It was given to Paul. And Paul now is imparting it to everybody else. The impartation here of the administration, the oikonomia, the house rules for the church, is God's design to create a new, beautiful, redeemed human society on earth called the church. When I was in college, I, vol I volunteered at one of the, uh, it was a football game at another school for um, concessions. You guys know what football games, right? They, I got football on the brain, Marvin. I don't know what to tell you. A lot of football illustrations this morning. So if you're running concessions and when I walked in the door, there's someone who's in charge and they meet the volunteers like me at the door and they say, all right, here's what you need to do. This is where we keep the napkins. This is where the money is. This is the person in charge of soft drinks, right? And you're given like this crash course on what to do when you're in there. You don't get to make up your own rules, right? You, you don't get to go in there and give hot dogs away to your fiance, which I could have gotten in trouble for. <laughs> you got to follow the rules, whatever they are. It's the same for the church. Remember, God's got a plan. God actually has a strategy. And, and by his strategy, it's a design for how this people, how the church of God are supposed to relate to one another. How you're to relate to the world. How you yourself are to think of your relationship with God. Paul has been given that administration. Those are the house rules. You probably have rules in your house, right? You, if you were, to, we were to come over and visit, right? Toilet seat, down, right? Whatever, whatever the other rules are, take your shoes off at the door, right? Um, you have rules, God has instructions. He's got, they're, just, they're more than just guidelines you can follow if you feel like it. It's like, this is the strategy. This is the design and the plan of God for how a new kind of humanity is going to be made known on the earth. Now, we had a verse that was already similar to this in Colossians that we heard in our reading today. I just want to remind you of it because it's almost identical to what Paul is saying here. However, there's part we left out 
And I want to include it this morning. So just to repeat it, here's what Paul says. He says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering. Why is he suffering, Tom? Because he's in prison. He's in jail. And I fill up in my flesh with still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. Doesn't mean that Christ uh, didn't suffer on the cross enough for the atonement. It meant that this is what the unfolding of the kingdom of God is going to look like. There is going to be a path that you will follow similar to Jesus. Right? Remember Jesus saying, all those who want to follow after me must deny themselves, take up their... That's what he means by what's lacking. It means there's more suffering that's going to happen. He says, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me. There it is, administration again. This unique impartation to Paul to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to God's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All of us are on board so far with that. Amen. Hope of glory. That's right. Jesus living in me. Now, here's the part you don't like. He's the one we proclaim. Paul says, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Uh, Emily and I were recently looking at pictures and videos of our kids when they were small and there's some of Sadie where she's just getting into stuff like uh, I think it was flour or something and just pancaking it all right just making a mess everywhere now how many of you still do that (laughs) you don't why well because at one point you were immature and in the house we knew that but the rules are different we don't play with flour like that as you grow up and so as you mature You learn what it means to order your life after God's design. And this sometimes requires admonition. Who loves to be admonished? Who loves to be uh, confrontation? Totally love it. Tell me how I'm doing it wrong. Thanks, Pastor. Nobody likes that. Who needs it? Let's see. Christian, let's see. Nobody here needs it this morning. Oh, I don't need any admonishing. Raise your hands now. Come on, you all need to be admonished. You all need teaching. We all need the instruction of God. And I want you to see from the Apostle Paul, look how he characterizes it. To this end, to what end? To grow everybody to maturity by delivering the house rules that God's been given to me. I strenuously contend. He is working hard. That you would understand, that you would see the wisdom of God in his design. Now, you may think that it feels better to eat or drink in a way that the world affirms. To to behave sexually in a way that the world affirms. Paul's going to say, there's no wisdom in that. There's only foolishness in that. And you could do it. You could totally go live your life any way you want. And do you know what you'll bring destruction to? You, Because God has a design for his people, a beautiful, redeemed, new humanity that learns how to serve one another and love one another, put themselves at the last in the line, not the first in line. God knows that the only way you're going to do this is by the help of the Holy Spirit. And so this is the impartation of that which the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church, us today, the oikonomia, the house rules for how the church needs to be ordered. Everybody with me on this? Good? All right, number five. 
I want to spend a minute on this one too. Intention. Why? Why did God do this? Why did Paul give? Why, why did God give Paul this unique job? He ha, he has a reason. And if you look with me in verse ten, you'll see it. Here it is. His intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God has an intention behind all of this. He has a plan for the display of his wisdom. And this is the point where some people might disagree with me. So I want, I want you to listen close. God's design for his wisdom to be seen is not through Christians. It's through the church. What's the difference between that? What, what is the difference between the wisdom of God shown in a Christian and the wisdom of God shown in a community of Christians? And this is where I feel like the pollution that you all have is from the American post-enlightenment worldview that teaches us it's all about me. And that's how we think of God, too. We think that our salvation is my salvation for me. That's not what the Bible says. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just read it to you again here and make sure you catch it. Verse 10, his intent was now through the church the manifold wisdom of God may be known. This is a wonderful word in NIV. I don't think quite does it just manifold wisdom. Uh, your Bible might use the word multifaceted. Uh, it's a really beautiful word. It has to do with this uh, um, faceted design of God's wisdom shown in diversity to be seen not just one way, not characterized after the way that's easiest for you, but characterized in every single way and shape and form. You might be hearing kind of an echo of the gospel message that's supposed to go to who? All nations, tribes, peoples, and languages. Right? That's the multifaceted wisdom of God to be seen, evidenced in the church. Now, I meant to, I meant to do this, and I forgot this morning. If, if, if you gave me two minutes, I could run to the office, and I could go and get you this little cross that I got from Laura Giltner. She gave it to me years ago, and she said she had it at home and never used it. She donated it to the, to the church, but she said, I could have it, so I'm having it. It's mine. Um, it's, it's this little stained glass cross. It's the coolest thing. And if it just sits there, it just looks like, I mean, it's kind of pretty, right? But if you put a bulb with white light in the middle of it and you switch it on, do you know what it does? It, sh it shines all these beautiful colors everywhere, radiating out from the cross. Now, I, we should, I should have had it. I forgot. But you can imagine it, right, as I'm describing it to you. That's exactly the idea behind God's wisdom. God's wisdom needs to be seen in your life. It needs to be seen in your neighbor's life. And as it's seen in every single life across the aisle from you within the church, it's not a question of an individual's salvation before God. It's a question of seeing the design of a new humanity that loves one another, supports one another, cares for one another, encourages one another, admonishes one another, fights for one another, that we see this beautiful kaleidoscope of God's wisdom on display. That white light of Jesus' work, right, brilliant as it is, as it shines forth in your life, is going to deliver an image that collectively 
will display, as the Bible says here, the manifold wisdom of God. All right. Are we on the same page with that? Number six. This has been inaugurated. The eternal plan of God is accomplished in Christ Jesus. So if you look with me into verse 11, he says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, so here's what you see. God had this plan from when? Always. So who is this new to? This is new to us. This is really not a new plan at all. This is just the inauguration of it. Here it is. It's showing up now. God has always designed a people that's global to display the love and manifestation of his wisdom. That's always been the plan. It's just now inaugurated through Christ. And so we're going to come back to this idea of what I, what I want to hold on, what I want you to hold on to is this guy right here, the person who started it, because that's going to really help you and I when it comes to how do I do it? How do I get on board and become a part of the community here? We're to come back to the one who inaugurated it. All right, lastly, uh, Jesus is also an intermediary. And so he concludes in verse 12 by saying, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God. You, do, you have no idea how special that is. I, I, I want to submit to you, we all take God for granted. You, you, if you've grown up in the church at all, you have grown up with a redundant redundancy of blessings that so easily makes you and I devalue what we have in God. There is nothing in you that permits you access to God. You would be dissolved like ash before God. He is holy. He is perfect. He dwells in inapproachable light, the Bible says. So good luck with that if you're going on your own. But Jesus gives you access. And because that access flows through Jesus, I want you to see again in verse 12 what we have. We have freedom and confidence. Your Bible might say boldness. Um, I've, been, I've been working with a friend of mine back in the Bahamas who's just going through a hard time. And uh, he was a little low the other day and just sent me a text message saying, this is what I'm going through. I don't know if I can make it. And I wrote him back, you know, a bunch of pastory type things. But at the very end, I just thought, what would I need to hear if I was in his shoes? Uh, and this is a message for anyone who's hurting. God hears you. Do you know how awesome that is? He hears you. And he is good. You might still be in a moment of hurt. You might still be waiting. Don't fear. Don't doubt. He hears you. And he's got a plan. And it's working its way forward. And so you come to God now with boldness, with freedom, and with confidence. I want you to see how the Bible uh, relates this in other places. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, Paul says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. That means you don't need to go to anybody special. They don't have to wear fancy robes that you have to go and find a way to get access to God. There's no particular saint that has ever lived that gives you some special access to God. Do you know why? Because we have the most special access to God in who? In Jesus Christ. You don't need multiple mediators. You don't need me. You have Jesus. So you get direct access to God. And please don't take that for granted. This comes with the confidence from the writer of the book of Hebrews chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. 
For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way that we have, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is the one interceding on your behalf before God. And so when you screw up, which you're gonna, when you do, and the angels say, we saw it, we we saw it, sin, rebellion, self-love right in Ryan's life, right there. I have Jesus as my defense before God and God's holiness, which was God's design. Not that God's angry with me. What does God hate? He hates sin. And for those who embody sin, they fall under his wrath, but not because God hates his creation. He's made a way for all of us. And so for those of us who know him, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, I want you to see from the text this morning that your access to the design of the plan flows through Jesus, the one mediator between God and man. So what do we do with this? I have two conclusions. Number one, the church is not an afterthought in the mind of God. The church is not secondary. It's not this if you feel like it. It's not, oh yeah, we were doing that thing. What was it called? The church is the primary strategy that God has designed. This is the plan. This is the play. When the coach calls it down and says, we're going to run the church, that's how we're going to handle speaking to the spirit realm to show the wisdom and the design of God. There's no plan B. There's not a backup on this. It's not an afterthought. This is the whole thing. This is it. Which, if you're on board with me, if you're tracking with me on this, it really ought to grieve you then when you see churches that are like, well, that's a, that's a nice idea there, Jesus, for the play. We're going to do it our own way, though. We're going to run it after our own design. That should really just give you like, it sickens me. It makes me physically feel sick in my stomach to see fallen humans confused by what we see in the world thinking, oh, yeah, we'll do it a different way. We'll figure it out. The church is not an afterthought in the mind of God. And Jesus was very serious about this. He's so serious that when it comes to following him, you can read in the Gospels how Jesus actually kind of tries to turn people away. Because they're coming for the wrong reason. They're coming thinking that it's a different plan. And so Jesus will say things like, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have any place to lay my head. So if you're going to follow me, you've got to be okay with homelessness. You okay with that? Or he'll turn other people away by saying, you know, it's like a, a king that before he goes on a battle, doesn't he count his soldiers to make sure that he's got enough? Or before a guy builds a tower, doesn't he make sure that he has enough money to finish it before he starts? And so, hey, before you get on board to follow me, how about you make sure you know what you're getting in for? Because the church is not just a place that you go to once a week. The church is not a service that lasts for an hour. And it's not through individual Christians. It's through the corporate community. Again, if you could just see this, if you look back with me in the text at a couple of places, verse 10, his intent was now that through the church. If you fast forward in chapter 3 to verse 21, you guys see that in your text there? 321, to him be glory in Christians. Is that what it says? Glory where? 
in the church. How about the great decree that comes from Peter? Do you remember Jesus' question? Who would people say that I am? Remember this? Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the Christ. God says, this was not, you can figure this out on your own. This was given to you by my Heavenly Father. And I say to you upon this rock, I will build my Christians. Is that what he says? I I will build my church on this rock. Now, I, at the same point, I don't, want, I don't want to erase the personal responsibility you have. You absolutely have one. But there's no version of this faith. There's no version of God's design that says you can be a Christian divorced from a church. The whole strategy of God is to bring a community together, to work a single spirit in the hearts and minds of all of them that drive them together, that cause us to, to just stick together. I'm telling you, without the Spirit of God, you would hate each other. You'd be at each other's throats. All kinds of problems, all kinds of selfishness. It's all about me. But he made us a way because it's not an afterthought. As I was thinking through this single conclusion here, I, I thought, well, why is this so hard? Like, Why is it so hard for churches to figure this out? Why is it so hard for Christians to understand this? It's not about you. that It's about the community. And I wrote down two things that you're not going to like. You ready? This might be worth scratching down if you, if, if you want some admonition this morning. Uh, number one, it's because we are disobedient. And number two, it's because we're sinners. Remember I told you that today's message is probably like the, really the, the crux of figuring out the rest of the book of Ephesians because everything that comes after this, every Sunday after this, is going to be like, all right, so now what do I do? What's the economia? What are the rules for me as a father? What are the rules for me as a husband? What are the rules for me as a worker? Throughout the rest of Ephesians, Paul is going to be delivering the here's how to do it. Do you know what the problem is? Eh, I don't want to do it. Because I am disobedient. Why am I disobedient? Because I have a disease called sin living in me. Even though I know the good I want to do, I don't do it. I keep doing the thing I shouldn't do. I know what's right, but sin in me is this continual battle. So there it is, folks. Why is this so hard? Because you are disobedient to God and because you're a sinner. I wrote down some other things as to why people don't want to stick it out with the church. Uh, First thing I wrote down was leadership. I might be a little bit biased on that one. Uh, Some people think uh, too many Christian leaders have too much power. They have too little Christ-likeness. Or I just disagree with them. And so I'm not going to really get invested. I don't really want to get involved because there's a problem with leadership. Or it might be a root of misplaced identity because you think the church is a building or a service or a place you can go to or a denomination. Or it might be because of consumerism. I think a lot of Christians come rather to get than to give. And so if there's nothing expected, you know the saying, right? Out of sight, out of mind, right? If I don't need to do anything. I just sit and listen. Then what, when's this thing get wrapped up here? What time is it? Yeah, you're just a consumer. Or maybe you've been wounded by the church, either through its traditions or individuals you felt judged or unwelcome, particular doctrines that you feel are too restrictive. Uh, I don't think you should do it that way when it comes to X, Y, Z of your own opinion. How about this one? Um, I'm just too busy. Uh, G- Jesus encounters this in the gospel. Someone who says, hey, I'll follow you, but let me first go bury my father. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. 
Another says, you know, I'll follow you, but these are these things I want to take care of first. Jesus says, nobody who says I'm going to plow this field and then turns around and tries to plow like this. Do you ever see how those rows look? He says it's fit for the kingdom of heaven. Like you're in or you're not in. Now, how many of you are too busy? Oh, boy. Church just got real today. How many of you are too busy? Bunch of liars in church. Yeah? Yeah. At some point, always in your life, there's going to be a challenge of priorities where work, family, life, me, whatever it is, hunting season, football, whatever it is, is going to be a challenge of priority between you and God. Here's the last one I wrote down. Just different denominations. There's no unity. There's no unity. So why bother? Well, the church... The church can't be something that you don't have a stake in. It can't be just somebody else's problem like the pastor. It can't be something extra in your life that you just tack on, like softball or your hobbies or Thanksgiving, right? It's not this extra thing because it isn't for God. Even if you don't like church, it might be because you don't see what God sees, Look with me just a little further in chapter 5. There's two illustrations that are given in Ephesians for the church. Chapter 5, verse 25. They're easy to remember. They both start with a B. Uh, The church is called the body, which you're going to hear about more from Chris in a couple of weeks. And the church is called a bride. That's what she is. She's a bride. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved what? The church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The book of Revelation says that there's a wedding feast, that it's the bride that has been prepared for the groom, for Jesus. And so why is it that you don't think the same as God? I I would submit to you, it might be because you don't see what God sees. When God looks at the church, he sees a bride. You guys have been to a wedding, right? You you, you know the moment you've got all the beautiful people, right, all dressed up, coming down the aisle, and each one comes and they they take their spot. Sometimes they do something silly as they're coming down. And then the flower girl comes down. After that, throwing petals, super cute, right? And then the minister says, will you all please stand, right? And the music changes and everybody turns. Now, what if I'm at the wedding and I don't turn? I just sit there and I say, I wonder what kind of food they're going to have. I hope they don't serve fish. I don't know if I like these colors. Can't wait to hear what this preacher's got to say. Do you know if my wife was there? She'd be like poking me like, get up, stand up. Because what's everyone looking at? Everyone's looking at the bride. And even if you don't get it, do you know who is looking at the bride? Even if nobody else does, do you know who is? The groom. And Jesus is the groom. And do you know the bride that Jesus is looking at? It's the church. This is not an afterthought in the mind of God. This is the whole deal. This is the whole strategy. The church is the plan of God to make his wisdom manifest on the earth to show what it looks like to be a follower of the king of kings number two 
This is a, this is a really important one. And this is the one that's going to lead us to all the other messages that come from uh, the book of Ephesians. The ordering of the church now. The ordering of it. So, so who's in charge? So who serves? How do you serve? What are the qualifications for somebody to, to teach with authority? Like where, where do we come up with all these ideas? Well, God has given that administration to the Apostle Paul. Here are the house rules. And the Apostle Paul says, I am strenuously working to admonish and to teach you all of these things for the ordering of the church. And so when it comes to leadership, to reputation, to relationship with other churches, to our mutual calling, they are a demonstration and they are a declaration of God's wisdom. And that's, that's about all I'm going to say on that for now, other than to leave you with that this conclusion is the one that's going to carry us further, right? So the, the, the rest of Paul's teaching is going to be like, all right, so this is the play. I get it. The church, that's the plan. What's my role? How can I help? Am I the blocker? Am I the snapper? Am I the quarterback? Am I the, where am I at? How, how do I fit in on all of this? So how, what, what do we do with this for today? I want to challenge you to say you, need, you might need to transform your understanding of church. I, I hope for you that this entire sermon is like, oh, I knew this whole time. I hope that's you and you don't need any change in how you see the church. I think actually if you were here for fall festival, you saw an example of what this looks like. You saw the church in all of its little ways, everybody serving and helping in the way God's designed them to. That's it. That's what it looks like. That's what heaven's going to look like. And so this is just a rehearsal of that. And it transcends 1115. It does. It goes beyond today. It's further than once a week meeting. Secondly, I want to challenge you to follow Jesus's lead. God is the coach. Oh, we, we, got, we got the word earlier, Jesus is the head. Do you remember? Same idea. He's the one who's in charge. And so as you and I want to obey God's design on this plan, let me encourage you to ask Jesus to give you help. Show me what I'm supposed to do. Show me the role that I'm supposed to play. Because if he's going to put you in the game, I don't know how you got on the team, but guess what? You're on the team, right? If he's going to put you in the game, you've got to know the plan. Amen? Let's pray together.